The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
It's always an honor and a pleasure for me to come and, and do communion. I, I love it. I, I have the privilege to come do it in all three services. And each service is different. Each one has its unique pieces to it. And I appreciate all that. Um, this morning we're going to talk about some um, a, a topic that gets a little sticky sometimes. Priorities. Where do you set your priorities at? But uh, first before we get there... Any teachers in the room? Teachers, raise your hand. There's a bunch of you. Cool, good. We're going to turn the tables on you guys today. All right. Pop quiz time. All right. How many of you have never in school, you walked in there, and the first thing the teacher says, take your books, put them under your desk, pull out one piece of paper and a, pen, and a pencil? What were your thoughts usually? Uh, I didn't read that stinking chapter last night. How many of you were that away? Yeah, man, that's me, big time. You know, we had some students, you know, like Don, I went to school with, Sheila's back there. I mean, they just flew through it. They were straight A's. I mean, just blasted right through it. You know, whereas me, I'm over there, oh, man, oh, well, I guess I'll sacrifice one F out of this deal, you know, and go on. But anyway, we're going to turn the tables on y'all make y'all do a pop quiz here. Raise your hands. How many of you in the room made a New Year's resolution? Okay, cool. Okay, those of you who raised your hands, keep them up. How many of you are still there, are still on task, still getting your New Year's resolution done, or how many of you have kind of went by the wayside? Okay, not bad. Not bad. Good job. See, she's sitting on the front row, too, trying to get brownie points, you know, out of this deal. So we get to looking at priorities, and we'll come back around to, to, to that in a minute, but... uh. You know, we, we talk about priorities and everything in your life, whether you, whatever you're trying to do, usually you have to set up some priorities to succeed and to get there, don't you? Whether it be a goal or whatever it might be. And so in, in order to get there, you have to do this, and then you have to do this, and you have to, you, you, there's steps to get to your ultimate ending that you're out after, correct? Everyone agree with that statement? Good. So... I guess what I'm getting at as far as priorities is kind of where's God in your priorities, okay? And, of course, God is part of your life. I'm not going to dispute that with anybody here, probably anybody listening or anybody online, because if you weren't here and you weren't listening, well, God's probably not in your life. Agree with me there? So, but what I'm going to get at is where is he in your life? Where is he on this list, okay? So... As we go across, you know, I'm going to bring up, a, you know, we always tell stories and, and uh, I throw my life out there as an example sometimes of what not to do and, and hopefully we can learn from some of those things. And without a doubt, I have some this today and I've been very blessed and very fortunate through the years living here in this community to be able to serve on several different boards, several different committees, Several entities of this nature, several organizations and so forth. And I've been very blessed in that. In that. And I, I look at it as a blessing because people say, oh, you have to serve on that. And I say, yeah, I get to. It goes back to that deal. I get to. And I'm very honored to do that. And as I've served on some of these boards and so forth, over the years, I kind of get to where I wind up being the chairman of some of these boards. So I'm running the meetings which is cool and good, and, you know, I had some experience in parliamentary procedure and things of that nature, so I can handle that. It's no big deal to me. But there was one thing that was a big deal. And throughout the years being on these boards and 
people can contest to this that sometimes you sit on these these with these groups of people and there always kind of seems to be a little bit of that drama. Anybody been with groups like that? Oh, it seems like there's a little drama going on all the time. You know, and we would always get our tasks done. You know, we would complete, you know, whatever we were set out to do, we would get it done and we would be successful in what we were doing. But there's always seemed to be a little drama in some of these groups. And the whole time, God's sitting there telling me, Mike, you need to pray. And I said, oh, come on, God. You want me to pray in front of them? Oh, that's, um, you know, what if I offend somebody? Somebody might not like that, you know. And, and you know, I might do it wrong. You know, I, I, I don't want to do it wrong, and I don't want to offend anybody. And even one of these boards that I sat on is a government entity, okay? And, you know, and there's this thing out there, something about church and state. I don't whatever it all is, I don't know. But, you know, you're not supposed to do that. And he kept telling me, Mike, you need to pray. And I kicked the can down the road a while, and I said, oh, maybe we can get by without doing that, you know. And finally, it got to be one year, and it was about the beginning of a year, and I don't know if it's really a New Year's resolution so much, is that finally one year here a few years back, I finally said, okay, God, I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to pray. And at this first board meeting that I went to in that month of January, it was a government deal, okay? And I called the meeting to order, and I told everybody, I said, all right, we're going to do something a little different. I think we need to bring God to the table, and let's pray. Guess what happened? I did not have one single objection. Every single head immediately went down, and we prayed. And we've prayed at every board meeting since, since we've adopted saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And on top of that, we salute the flag in New Mexico after that. So see, we just set some priorities, didn't we? We put God first. We brought Him in the room first. Then we praised our country, and then we praised our state. And then we conducted our business. And you know what? Since we've started doing that at a lot of those boards and those different meetings, that drama that I talked about has kind of drifted away. We didn't ask it to go away, but He just kind of took some of that and took it away. So, you know, I bring that up. What about you in your personal life, your everyday life? Do you have to deal with drama? Yeah, we pretty much do in, in, in life, don't we? We deal with drama every day. And so I ask you, where's Jesus at in your life? Is he first? Or is he kind of down the list here a little bit? We get to him after a while. So that's what I'm going to encourage you. So let's get him first. Whenever you very first wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that you do? What is the first thing that you do? Anybody? Open your eyes. Last night we had coffee. Um, you know, some people, what's the first thing you do? Grab their phone. Hmm, what's the weather doing? Oh, I missed a message on Facebook. Oh, I did. Any of this sounding familiar? What's the first thing we should do, maybe? Is talk to God. Maybe we should talk to God first before we jump to all these other things. You know, because on my phone, I'm sure each, a lot of y'all have this, have the Bible app on your phone too, just like I do. And 
Every single morning, without fail, at 7.04, my phone dings. And I get a message from God. Every morning, he comes to me at 7.04 on the Bible app and gives me the verse of the day. Anybody else in this room got that? Yeah. Every day, 7.04, God comes to me. And I know he's coming at 7.04, and he's going to give me that verse. But unfortunately, I've probably got up at 5 or 6 or something like that, and I maybe have already done 10 things before God ever comes to me. Maybe I should have went to God whenever my eyes very first opened. What do you think? Let's get him first in our life. Let's make him first in our life. And a lot of that drama that we have to deal with seems to go away. You know, and people say, well, my good theory, good thought, and everything else, but you haven't offered anything biblically to back this up. And to me, it's very simple. I went back to Exodus and back to Deuteronomy, where they talk about the Ten Commandments. And we list the Ten Commandments, don't we? And what's the very first one? What is the very first commandment? No other God before me. I come first. He says it. He commands us that I come first. So we need to make him first every morning whenever we open our eyes. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you this morning, as always, we praise you and thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for the blessings. But as we remember this time in communion, we thank you what you did for us. The sacrifice that you made. The blood that you shed to wash away our sins. But the ultimate gift that you gave us, you gave us everlasting life. If we will but just ask for it. Father, we ask that you, you heal us all by your stripes. It says, in the, it says by your stripes that we shall be healed. We ask for that healing. Father, we, we ask as we go forth that you give us knowledge and you give us wisdom. That we do things in the way that you want to see it done. And Father, help us to get you first in our life and keep you first in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Marie told me, be careful not to make this too complicated. I tend to overthink everything. I overthink uh, words, conversations that I've had with other people. I overthink my actions typically in any given situation. In fact, I will probably overthink this sermon. I, this really resonates with me. I was having a pretty decent day until I thought of something I said when I was 15. Right. And so overthinking comes naturally to me. And so I tend to make things complicated. And Marie said, I can make things complicated, too, in my Bible study. She said, sometimes I have to decide in the morning, should I start a load of laundry? Should I do a little multitasking and balance the checkbook? Should I wash the dishes before I sit down for my quiet time? So we're not going to try to make this too complicated, and I want this to be uh, how we shape today as I'm speaking and sharing with you. And it's this quote that I have from John Mark Comer. The book is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and it completely wrecked me. Do not read this book unless you want to be convicted. Here's the quote. Let prayer 
set your emotional equilibrium and let scripture set your view of the world. Let prayer set your emotional equilibrium, how you feel, the way you react, and let scripture set your view of the world. Welcome online on the radio. Those of you that are uh, tuning in, those of you that are here, we are finishing up our people of the world uh, of the word. Whoa. Sermon series. And I love this quote from last week. The closer we grow to God, the more he will point out areas of our heart that need to change, right? He brings things up to the surface the closer we draw to him, and and we're always on a long obedience in the same direction, Holy Spirit guiding and directing us. So if you would stand with me as we read our focus verse today, stand if you're able, 2 Timothy 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Here it is. Would you read with me actually today? All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Thank you so much for doing that. You may be seated. So the aim of Christian study is transformation. It's not memorizing information. Now, we do memorize Scripture, and there's a couple of reasons why we do this. We memorize Scripture for application, right? If, if, we're, not, if we're reading the Bible and it's not being applied to our lives, then it's really not making a difference at all, right? And so the things that we read in the Word of God should apply and enhance and push us as we go about our day to day. Memorizing scripture is also for the moment, for those times when you're not really sure what comes next. Maybe for those times when you need a little humility. Maybe for those times when the rug has been pulled out from under you. Times in hopelessness and despair. Times of clarity and and fruitfulness. These times are what memorizing scripture are for. It's also for others as we share scripture with one another and they share it with us. It's supposed to be encouraging and uplifting. It's also supposed to be convicting, right? We're always doing these things in love. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 13 when it says, if you don't do it in love, you're just a clashing symbol. And that is way annoying, right? And so just a question, how many of you tithe? Raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Don't answer that question, right? I don't want to know. But this is the question that popped in my head as I was beginning this new year. It seemed like my quiet time, my Bible study was kind of lacking. And I was praying for new wine, kind of a new revelation And the Lord reminded me of the tithe. The tithe is a tenth, right? And so I did some math. I can do simple math, right? And so here we go. 60 minutes in an hour, right? 24 hours in a day. 60 times 24 is 1,440. If we take a tenth of that, that's 144, right? That's 144 minutes. That's a little over two hours. 
There may be some of you in this room that do two hours of Bible study a day. I am not one of those people. But I wasn't even really doing ten. I was doing just enough to get by. And the Lord reminded me that he deserves more of my time. That I need to keep the main thing, the main thing, and not throw other stuff in front of him. Routine makes Bible study a priority. But Bible study must never be routine. We come before the Lord. We open scripture in expectation, knowing that he is faithful, reading the word anew in different seasons. We see the world differently, but the Lord never changes. And he is kind to us as he reveals his truths. Now, there's three different things we're going to talk about during this uh, just practical application of Bible study. And so the first thing, the first word is routine. And I have a verse for that. So if you want to, turn with me to Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. And this is a psalm of David. And David says simply in verse 3, Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. There's a routine here. David speaks about in the morning more than once. There's also expectation. Expectation is confidence. Expectation is knowing that God will respond. Now, routine is a series of actions you perform automatically. Here's an example. Where is Franklin? It's noon. Oh, Franklin is here, right? Maybe you have a standing golf date with somebody. Maybe you have dinner with your friends. Maybe you sit around the dinner table with your family at a certain time every single day. That is routine. So if it's 5.30 in the morning, I have a routine. Now, I am a night owl. That's how I started. That's how I spent my first, our first half of marriage, my beautiful wife, Marie. And, and, and 530 is really early, right? It's not as early as she wakes up, but it's really early. And Marie is a morning person, which means she does not need coffee to be chipper. If you don't give me coffee first, it's going to be a bad day, probably for somebody, right? 5.30 in the morning, I sit in my red chair. Now, my kids love my red chair, but they know during 5.30 quiet time, they're not allowed to be there. It doesn't matter. They're not awake anyway, right? I'm in my chair. I've got my Bluetooth headphones, just cheapies from Walmart that I use for my daily refresh in the Bible app that Mike was talking about. I have my readers. I'm of that age where I need readers, right? I can't make out the words otherwise. I have readers right there. I don't want to have to go all around the the house looking for my readers, looking for my headphones, right? You'll hear me say this more than once. I have to set myself up for success and you do too because routine takes intention and effort 
To me, routines are different than habits. Habits are like washing hands and brushing teeth, right? You don't have to think about those things. You just do them, right? Everybody washes their hands and brushes their teeth, right? You don't have to respond to that one either. But a routine takes intention and effort. And friends, we need to make time to take time. We need to make time to slow down enough to hear from the Lord. When do you get most of your work done? I'll help you answer this. It's when no one else is around. Am I right? I'm right. Now, I want to point out at this point that what I'm talking about today is different from how I prepare for a sermon. How I prepare for a sermon is I'm here in my office. If somebody needs to come in and talk, they walk into my office, they sit in the chair, we get coffee first, and then we visit, right? Whenever that happens, there are interruptions during my day. There are interruptions during Dawn's day. That's just the nature of the beast. I am not talking about my Bible study here at the office. I'm talking about what Christ calls every single one of us to do, which is spend time in his word daily. It's separate and apart from my work as a pastor. It's my work as a Christian. Allowing God to work in me. I turn off notifications. Um, I have an iPhone, so I don't know how it works with that Android thing. I mean, whatever. It's probably something. I'm not sure how it works. iPhone, I set up my focus, right? So I have a morning focus. I have an evening focus. I have a Sabbath focus. I have pretty much focus all throughout the day. My morning focus kills all notifications. The only messages that come through until 9 a.m. are from Don and my immediate family. Nobody else gets through. And you know what? Nobody's really ever gotten upset at me for not answering a text before 9 a.m. Nobody said a word. I killed the notifications because every time a notification went off, something would ping on my watch. Something would, do you hear me? already talking about it, something would happen on my phone and I would start to get amped up and then maybe I was on a group text or something and my kids were meme happy and all of a sudden here we go, right? Boom, 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 boom. And I can't check it because I'm supposed to be in the Bible, right? This is my time for the Lord. There's actually a phobia for that, being without your phone. It's called nomophobia. It's not very inventive, the name, but it stands for no mobile phone phobia. It's the idea that that hit of dopamine, whenever you see that notification, causes you to pick up your phone and you scroll and then you get that next hit and there starts the loop over and over and over again. You scroll until it hits. You scroll until it hits. And it will scroll until the end of time as long as your thumb is doing this. And I had to get off that wild carnival ride. I killed the notifications. I had to set myself up for success, I had to minimize my distractions. So the next thing is discipline. Now, nobody likes discipline, right? They like what discipline produces, but they don't really like discipline. And while I was preparing, this kind of hit me hard. Give yourself grace, for sure, but hold yourself to a standard, right? I mean, Paul even says in Romans, should we just keep on sinning? 
I mean, God's going to forgive us anyway. No, that is not why grace is here, right? So you can miss every once in a while, but if you're going to set yourself up to read your Bible, if you're going to make that commitment, then stick to that commitment. Make it a routine. Be consistent. This is how we set ourselves up for success. So what does discipline look like? Has anybody heard of the marshmallow test? Right? It's been around for a while, and maybe you've seen the video. So this is what it looks like. Uh, They put a kiddo in a room. They put a plate on the table in front of them. An adult walks in with a marshmallow, sets it on the plate, and says, you can have this marshmallow whenever you want. But if you wait until I come back into the room, you can have two marshmallows. The adult leaves the room and everything is on camera. It's a beautiful thing. So some kids will lick their finger and they'll rub the top of the marshmallow and they'll lick their finger again. I saw one kiddo that picked up the marshmallow, gnawed around it like a little mouse, set it back on the plate like facing them so the adult wouldn't notice. And then you see one little girl who I, I don't think the door closed and the girl threw the marshmallow in her mouth. And then there's always one that's just staring at the marshmallow longingly, close their eyes, try to take a nap, whatever they can do. And then finally the adult walks in and they say, good job, you did it. Here's another marshmallow. And before you can say little bunny foo-foo, they've got both of those marshmallows in their mouth, right? Some people suggest that the data would say those that were able to wait for the second marshmallow are more successful in life. The idea of delayed gratification. But I found an interview with uh, Walter Mischel, who was the behaviorist that organized this experiment, And he had this to say, your future isn't wrapped up in a marshmallow. He said some of these kids had strategies. Like some of them knew if they could just take their focus off the marshmallow, if they could just close their eyes, maybe they could just move in some other direction, that they would be able to wait until the adult came back in the room. Now, there's traits of highly disciplined people. It's funny, secular website, but every single one of them had a Bible verse almost immediately pop in my head as I was reading it. So here are traits of a highly disciplined person. Commit, avoid temptation, take care of themselves, work at developing habits, set boundaries, revel in routine, lead with mind over mood, and keep an eye on the prize. Now, maybe you're asking me, this Bible studies thing sounds great, but how in the world do you become disciplined? How does that happen? And I wish I had a magic pill to share with you, but I do have three words to share with you. Strategies, routine, and consistency. Before I was consistent with running, I would go for about a month and I would decide that today was the day I was going to run two and a half miles, right? You can only imagine how bad that was with my rescue inhaler in tow. Consistency would say, if you only have time for a mile, run a mile, just do it every day. Make it a routine. Be disciplined. 
Discipline aids spiritual growth. These are training exercises for the spiritual life, and these lead to transformation. Mark Batterson has this to say about training. You don't rise to the occasion. You revert to the level of your training. You're not going to automatically know how to, th- how to shoot a three-pointer. You're not going to automatically know how, how to rise to the occasion. All eyes are on me. Put me in the game. No. If you didn't put in the work beforehand, then it's going to show almost immediately. So when I was in high school, I did not play basketball. I played piano. And so I was sitting at the piano one day, uh, a Miss Schumpert's piano recital. I was playing a prelude, I think, a Bach prelude, counterpoint, which means the, there were different melodies. The hands were going in different directions, pretty intricate, and it all kind of sounded the same. So I was cooking along, first page, not too bad. Second page, I get to a section and, boom, boom, right, it's bad. I freak out. I stop, and I go back to the beginning of that section, and I try again. Have you ever been in the room when somebody is struggling like that? You're like, I don't even play piano, and I want to play this for you, right? I want to fix this situation. Could you please just stop, stop, stop? I could feel the sweat on the back of my neck. Started shaking a little bit, and Miss Schumpert walked up, and she put the music in front of me, and I finished the piece. She rescued me that day. The thing is, I had strategies in place. Miss Schumpert taught me how to memorize a piece of music. Start at the last section, right, last 16 bars or whatever, memorize that, move to the next to the last section, start there, you've got this, continue to the end. And then you keep going here, 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 here. That way, the, be- the end is just as good as the beginning, right? Because everybody starts at the beginning, gets lost somewhere in the middle, and they never practice the end. I had the strategy, but I did not have the training. I didn't practice. I didn't put it into practice for myself. When push comes to shove, When you need scripture the most, you're going to revert to the level of your training. What did you highlight in your Bible? What scriptures did you memorize? What sticks out in your head? When you get worked up over what somebody said, like I do sometimes, let the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. Friends, how can we do what the Bible says if we don't know what the Bible says? And we can't get our information from Facebook, right? I mean, how reliable is that? People are saying all kinds of things. Well, in the second book of Hesitations, it says this, right? That's not a book, by the way. If you're thumbing through the table of contents there, you're not going to find it. Our last word is freedom. There is freedom to choose the Bible plan. There is freedom to choose what time you study at. There is freedom to live in the overflow of your heart. 
because Christ is living in you. John 8.32 and 8.36 is, is where we're at. And John isn't really throwing down with the Pharisees. He's talking to the people, and he is definitely stirring up the waters. He's saying some pretty, pretty outlandish things in their eyes. He says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the people say, but we are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. And the people say, we are not slaves to anyone. And I mutter under my breath and I think, ah, why are you saying that to Jesus? And I think, I'm not a slave to anybody. I mean, I do what I want, except I look over and I'm holding this in my hand. And this thing dictates when I pick it up. This thing dictates when I open it, when I look at it. And if I'm not careful, I burn a good 20, 30 minutes on this thing. Chances are, some of you might too. What story are you telling yourself today? Marie asks me that quite a bit. Again, um, I tend to be an Eeyore, right? It's going to rain, or has anybody seen my tail, right? I'm an Eeyore, and so it's always like doom and gloom for me. The other, the other day, Marie was talking to Caden and I, and she said, I don't know how to say this, Caden. And immediately, Caden and I are like, what are you talking about? What's going on? And it turned out to be nothing, right? But that's where we gravitate towards. So what story are you telling yourself about Bible study right now? Maybe it's this, the Bible is hard to understand. You're right. So is math. You're right. So is music. You're right. So is life. Things are difficult to understand. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't apply yourself to them. The Word of God is before us. And the more we study, Holy Spirit is is moving us and pushing us and revealing things to us. But we've got to open the book. Maybe you're saying this. I don't have enough time to read the Bible, right? We hear this a lot. I don't have enough time. This sounds great, Franklin, but I just, you don't know my schedule. And I will say this, you will never have enough time in your day until you decide to make time in your day. You won't. Some things are going to have to give. You're going to have to reprioritize. I just told you I can scroll for 30 minutes if I cut that out. That's a quiet time, isn't it? There are some things that you can get rid of and spend time with our Heavenly Father. And I hope this isn't anybody in this room, but maybe you're saying, I don't deserve to read the Bible. The Bible is for good people and I don't feel very good. I will tell you that grace will give you what you don't deserve. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That's for everybody in here. The wages of sin is death, but it doesn't stop there. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace gives us what we don't deserve, unmerited favor. Don't presume to know everything about God. 
Let him inform your thoughts by spending time in here. Don't presume to think you are the first person incapable of salvation, right? All you have to do is read this book for a little bit and you'll find a dumpster fire or two or 12, right? They're all over the place and you're wondering, how in the world are these your chosen people? And then I wonder, how in the world am I your chosen person? We are all broken people. And that's the beautiful thing about our Lord and Savior. He takes broken people just like us and calls us to be the hands and feet of Christ on this earth. As you read, I want you to remember these three questions. And all of these are in the handout. I hope you got a a handout, a bulletin on your way in. These things are in there. So what does this tell me about God? How does this encourage me? And how does this challenge me to grow? These are the three ideas, three questions that you're asking as you prepare. Marie gave me these questions. This is how she uh, kind of frames her Bible study. Now, I am not answering every single question for every single verse. That's a lot, right? She's not either. But it's a good way to shape what you are reading and what you're trying to get out of it. I journal a little bit. And so um, for me, all I do in my journal is I highlight a passage. I, I, I use my phone, and so I'm thumbing through. And when I get to a passage in my Bible reading, I highlight it. And then I put the address down in the journal, like John 8:32, And then I write just a little note about it, like this is how it impacted me. Marie writes a lot, okay? You may... Different styles, right? She is old school. She's got um, her her journal sitting next to her, and she's got her Bible, right? And I I use my phone. So it just depends, right? But journaling helps the Bible come alive for me. The important thing is we think thoughtfully. We think thoughtfully. We don't put things into the Bible that aren't being said, right? We come before the Lord and we read it, Anew, we let him reveal his thoughts to us. I ran into a good friend the other day. Um, actually, uh, it's funny. I, I did this twice. Um, I didn't realize I did. Um, I talked to somebody about getting together for lunch soon. That's what I said. Hey, we should get together soon after we caught up. Now, soon is a very vague term, right? Soon can mean like in comparison to eternity, right? Or like next week or tomorrow, like what are we talking, right? And so when I say we need to get together soon, if you don't hear from me, I forgot. I'm so sorry, right? So just sending a text, right? My buddy sent me a text. Hey, when's lunch? That means I schedule it, right? I put it in my phone. I schedule it. When I schedule it, I see it. When I schedule it, I look forward to it. When I schedule it, I never miss it. And I love this idea that quiet time in Bible study is a life of scheduled meetings with the Lord. It's telling the Lord every morning at this time, I come before you. Every evening at this time, I come before you. And for the rest of my days, I will continue to open up the word of God and come before you. Keep the main thing, the main thing.
you know, as we finish up, as the, the team comes up. I said earlier, the Bible shapes how I see things. But I have other things competing for my attention. So I've said it before, right? I, I need to set myself up for success. Now, in, in the Comer quote that I was talking about earlier, he actually doesn't set up the quote that I shared with you at the beginning first. He actually shares up a different iteration of the quote. And that one says, Do not let your phone be your emotional equilibrium and your news feed your view of the world. If the first thing, let me tell you, actually I've done it before. If the first thing I do is reach for my phone and get on my news feed, I will be frustrated quickly. I will think the world is over. I will only see negativity and I tend to think the worst in situations. If I... If I look on Facebook to start things, and if I scroll long enough to get a dopamine hit, chances are I'm going to find somebody that I may not agree with. They may say something that frustrates me or, or makes me a bit angry. And that affects the rest of my day. Why in the world am I going to take the chance on that? Don't let your phone set your emotional equilibrium. Let prayer do that. Don't let your news feed set your view of the world. Let scripture do that. As we close, it's always progress, not perfection. Don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. Don't look at somebody else that's been doing it forever and say, how come I don't have something that looks like that? Everybody starts somewhere. So what does your start look like today? What does your middle look like today? A life of scheduled meetings with our Heavenly Father. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.